Hello, Laurie. Hey, Phil. How are you doing? I'm not so hot, actually, Phil. Do you have that thing where you go on holiday and then when you come back, you're, like, sick? <laughs> no, no. What do you I, mean, no? I tend to get it while I'm on holiday. The first day of holiday, your body's like, oh, we can relax, and then it just stops fighting all the diseases Maybe in the world. Maybe that's my problem, because, and this is part of the freelance lifestyle, just a little lifestyle tip for everyone out there. I was working for, like, four days out of my first week of holiday, and so maybe I've just been, you know, doing the burning the candle at both ends thing. Probably have, man, probably have, but guess you just got to carry on with life now. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> We're back from holiday, back with a bang. Listeners, it's been weird taking time out from the films, basically. I've got used to seeing big releases every week. And then we had a little bit of a hiatus... And now we're back, and I've seen lots of movies. Well, have some movies. You? Which ones have you seen, Phil? I have seen War for the Planet of the Apes, the uh, the third in the new Planet of the Apes films. Mm. And I've also seen The Big Sick, which is making waves as a sort of interesting romantic comedy with an angle on uh, Muslim Americans, basically. Right, it's Kumail Nanjiani, yeah? Yep, he's the guy from Silicon Valley, yep. Nice, nice, nice. And I have been to see Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which is out this week. Luc Besson. Yes, quite right, with Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne. And then also, I went to see The Beguiled, which was Sofia Coppola's indie film that uh, stunned a lot of people at the Cannes Film Festival. She won Best Director, I believe. But the film, Phil, conspicuously absent from this list, is Dunkirk, isn't it? Yeah, and there's reasons for that, listeners. It's not that we haven't thought about it. But basically, we were seeing loads and loads of correspondence over, over the last Yeah, that's away. what people have been in touch about, like way more than anything else. So everyone's been emailing in about Dunkirk and with their thoughts, wanting to know what our take on it was. And Laurie was in a position where he could see it, but then Laurie, I don't think, is necessarily the best gauge on Christopher Nolan films. You would, let's put it this way, you wouldn't want just me to go. I think everyone knows that, who's been <laughs> listening for a while anyway. Exactly. And then I had the opportunity to go see it in the IMAX, but not until much later this month. How, when is it again you're going to see it? Just before my birthday. Oh, Phil. I know. Okay. So it's a, it's a later half of um, August. So apologies for that. But it means I'll get the full Dunkirk experience. And from what I've been reading, it is all about the experience. And so rather than seeing it in sort of some shoddy cinema in Oxford, I'm going to go see it in the big old IMAX in the full screen thing. Yeah. OK. Well, listeners, I hope that isn't too disappointing for you. Thank you so much for those who've been sending in their thoughts. Hopefully you'll see this as a window because you too can send in your opinions on Dunkirk and we will review it in a couple of weeks time. But we're saying this like we haven't got movies to review, and we've got loads to review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... We've got four films, man. It's a big one to come back to. Um, okay, yeah, and we'll do your emails and tweets towards the end of the show. And I don't know, Phil, are we going to put in anything else, or is it just going to be films, emails out? I think we might squeeze in on what we've been watching, maybe. Okay, all right, cool. Phil, do you have any comments for me on uh, my majestic holding of the fort last week? Um, <laughs> man, what happened? I go away for a week, and like, what was that? What do you mean, what was that? I mean, I'm a big fan of Adam from Adam and Joe, just as much as you are. I'm a big fan. But I listened back to the little episode while I was away, and a part of me was just like, no, 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 Laurie, don't do it, what? don't what? do I, it. I, I, you know, actually, listeners, I can relate to you, Phil's exact words to me when I asked him whether he'd heard the show, and he said, yeah, I died inside. <laughs> I nice, nice I, positive spin on such I, things, Phil. I was going for dramatic. The thing is, man, is I've thought about it carefully while I've been away, and mm. you were just too sincere. We're not used to that. I could. It was like uh, looking directly in the sun. It's too bright. It's too pure. <laughs> I'm always and I sincere. couldn't handle it. You need I'm the filter of your show. cynicism to kind of guard us. You know, it's it. exactly this kind of talk that means that Adam Buxton and his agent won't take it seriously. They will take it seriously because I, I would be such a fan if he came on, and I think that'd be brilliant. For 
for us pretty well, maybe, fathom. Maybe me and Adam will do it and won't invite you. How about that? Well, yeah, I'm slightly offended. You were trying to do it while <laughs> I wasn't there. You're trying to get the big stars. I look, come on, man. This is this is what every everything that we've achieved so far has come from exactly that kind of uh, sincere requests. Come and tenacity, on. yeah. Yeah, and you've got to take those chances when they come. Listeners, if you, this makes no sense to you, you can listen to last week's mini episode, which might make you die inside as well. If <laughs> the you're thing which like I Phil. think is, is to your credit is you could so clearly see the love and affection you have for those uh, podcasts and how how excited you will be. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? That would take our podcast to new heights as well. Uh, it would, it would. And it would be awesome having him on the show. Yeah, look, so Adam, Adam, if, if you're listening, listening to this, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to come on the show and you've got to ignore Phil wearing his little American baseball cap. Don't, don't ignore me. Just, I'm giving re- relativity to the uh, context of that little sing-song you right, did. Right, 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 right. Okay, well, look, that's enough shenanigans, I think. Should we get going? Yeah, if you want to email in the show, you can reach us at superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. And thanks so much to all those guys on Patreon. You can support us if you'd like to on patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros. It really means a lot. We're covering our costs, which is awesome. And that's thanks to you guys. So thanks very much. Yeah, that was always what it was about. So thank you so much. And actually, what I'll say at the beginning of the show this week, uh, which we mentioned a couple of times at the end of the show in previous weeks, is if you are listening and you've never reviewed the show on iTunes, we would really, really value uh, your review there. You can give us a star rating write a comment or not write a comment just do whatever you need to do the reason that would be great is that i think that is what helps us on the itunes charts it's something to do with new subscribers something to do with new ratings we don't understand this i don't think anyone knows how that thing works like there are some podcasts in that list that don't make any sense but anyway if you haven't done it we'd really appreciate that and that is that and let's get going we have a funny little link to get going well, not. I mean, looking at the clock and it says six minutes. Do people want a joke after six minutes of intro? Do you want to hear my joke that I learned while I was away? All right, Phil. It's a little bit rude. Okay. Why did the toilet paper not cross the road? I don't know that I want to know. It <laughs> got stuck in a crack. Lovely. On that note, let's go. So, Laurie, should we uh, review War for the Planet of the Apes? No! Oh, <laughs> you're not a fan of it then? Well, I mean, Phil, this is, this is, your, this is your idea. I just no, you I, always <laughs> do this. You sell me under the bus. <laughs> you are asking me to be honest. Like, it, it's true. I, I didn't, I'm not interested in seeing War for the Planet of the Apes listeners. I quite enjoyed the film that had James Franco in it, which is all about the, the monkey becoming sentient, from which that marvellous clip that we just played comes from. That Caesar, the first sentient ape, finally speaking his first words to Draco Malfoy, no, you shall not touch me, or whatever it is that uh, that seems about. I, I wanted to start this review by going, Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus. Maybe we could end it at the end. No, 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 no. Okay, Phil, you went and saw this film. Yep, so this is picking up from where Rise of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes finished off. The titling on this franchise is bad, terrible. Bad, bad, bad. But anyway, so we've got Caesar, who is now in the woods. He is leading a big battalion of his ape kind of community. And he's been in hiding, basically, since the events of the last movie. And the humans are sort of trying to rat him out, trying to kill him off, and get rid of him. But amongst that, they're trying to actually find a permanent sort of home. They can't stay in the woods. They don't know what to do. So Caesar sent one of his sons off to go and find some place to go to. And just as they discover a place, a, a faraway place through a desert where they might be able to reside, the, the humans find Caesar and his little compound where his little village is. And they attack at night. And unfortunately, Caesar loses some dearly beloved family. Oh, tragedy. Do you need to give us a little bit of a stopgap, Phil? So why are the humans and the apes against each other here? Just in case there is anyone listening who hasn't heard anything about this franchise. They're against each other because the humans are being affected by the same thing which made them sentient. 
has really caused the kind of mass virus to spread through humanity and only a very small remnant remains. I didn't know that. I thought the apes had wiped them all out from horseback. No, no, no. So there's a simian flu which killed them off and uh, only a few of the humans are alive and remain. And there was a temporary truce in the previous film which was very tense because humanity's on its last legs and here are these apes who seem to be thriving under these new environments and seem to be able to be smart and communicate and attack them and things like that. So there's sort of this weird truce that then falls apart and then it leads to the events of this movie. Got it, got it, got it. Nicely done, Phil. Okay, so Caesar might have lost some friends, but he's on a mission. Well, now he has a revenge mission, and he's his main person that he's trying to get is the colonel, played by Woody Harrelson, your mm, friend. Yeah. Who kind of plays a Vietnam classic sort of mad general type, who is on a sort of last push to wipe out these apes. And yet Caesar is absolutely blinded by revenge in fact this film is really more the revenge of the planet of the apes rather than the war for the planet of the apes and it becomes a name as well it becomes a bit of a pensive sort of reflection on a man or an ape in fact tortured by uh, his choices and revenge and and is he making the right choice for his people his ape kind okay or is he just going to get revenge for what this man has done to him there's more of a character study than a plot driven movie it is and it sort of becomes uh it's a revenge piece and he has his little ragtag team of apes that he starts out with but then the film sort of slightly shifts genre as it goes on and it's weaves in kind of unexpected ways right i mean it, i'm hoping there are good moments to look deep into his monkey eyes and <laughs> consider the depths of his tortured monkey soul and and wait to hope that there might be an ounce of monkey compassion coming out. Am I, and this am I is why, Laurie, <laughs> you didn't go see Dunkirk, isn't it? No, mm. it's got nothing to do with Dunkirk. Okay, come on. Cynical man. That's the Laurie we love. love. <laughs> is that what you wanted me to do last week? All right, come on, keep moving, keep moving. Well, here we have a clip of uh, one of the meetings between Caesar, who's played by Andy Serkis, motion captain, all that, and he's doing a lot more talking in this film. Here he is meeting the colonel. Have you finally come to save your apes? I came for you. For me. My God. Look at your eyes. Almost human. How did you know I was here? I was told you were coming. That more soldiers from the north would be joining you. So you go. You get a sense of the tone there. It's very serious. It, it's unlike Laurie. It's taking this idea very seriously and this mm. world very seriously and the characters very seriously. Mm. And I personally think that's a good choice. I like Caesar as a character. I was invested in him. You've seen his beginnings with James Franco. You've seen him become a leader and face difficult choices. And now he's got an even bigger choice to make. Does he do what's right for his people or does he do what's right for himself? Okay, all right. And you didn't laugh at all at how silly it was. Um, In this film, I did a little bit. Did you? And there were times when I found myself thinking, this is kind of weird and ridiculous. And bizarrely, the thing which triggered it is not the fact that they're apes and not the world or uh, the ideas of the film, but in fact, the fact that Caesar in this film talks more. Andy Serkis does his kind of trademark, bizarre, and unlike himself voice, which is really deep and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came for you. Like, all that sort of stuff. And the fact that he's talking so much and he's the main ape that talks in the entire film, it slightly breaks the reality of it because you just think, oh, this is silly. He's not, he's an ape. Like, and actually, when the previous film had that sort of development of the ape culture, when they were doing the sign language to communicate and oh, yeah, he was yeah, talking kind of stilted sentences much more so than in this film, 
I actually bought that loads more. I thought, oh yeah, I kind of I'm on board with this. I believe that these these apes are sentient and can think, but they're not the same type or style as humans. But when Caesar starts kind of saying things like a human would in kind of bizarre phrases, what that, is a li- what is an ape's life worth? Exactly, is and it he's worth sort of, the life of his brothers in and arms? he has sort of a <laughs> he talks with like idioms, like humanistic stylings to his what he says yeah. and how he says it, and he sort of I thought I was an ape and and. It's too much. It worked well when it was all stilted and broken up and it's sort of he communicated in in words and ideas rather than sentences. But yeah, once the sentence is there, I'm not as on board. Still, there's so much things in this film for you to really enjoy. And I think even you'd have to admit the special effects are unbelievable. They're really impressive. The apes look good. The motion capture is extraordinary. I showed, in fact, my father-in-law, who I was on the holiday with, I didn't realise the extent to which motion capture was involved. And when I showed him a clip of all the actors running around with their crutches and being monkeys, he was kind of blown away by it. So it's some kind of amazing achievement. You can still tell they're not real apes. I don't know. I think if you watch this film, you start sort of accepting them as real. In fact, I found myself more often thinking, oh, they're wearing a suit. Rather oh, really? Than- Rather than thinking, oh, that's a CGI ape. I think it's gone so real that now it sort of looks like makeup and special, and not special effects at all. It's interesting, isn't it? I, the, one of the things that's tough about it is they so often have such sad, serious, pondering faces, like they're plumbing the depths of existence, whereas I kind of want monkeys to at least smile a bit more. Do they smile at all? Well, interestingly enough, they introduce a new character in this film, which is entirely designed to Comic make relief. a bit of levity to the film. Really, It's played by Steve Zane, I think it is. Steve Zane, yeah, yeah. Um, the ice dancer from Friends. Yeah, Phoebe's boyfriend or husband or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. He's also in uh, Daddy Daycare, and he's, he's kind of an established actor. He's doing lots of things. He plays Bad Ape, who's named Bad Ape, and he is... Uh, hinting at the bigger world of this movie in that he is not part of the original crew that got their sort of intelligence from that weird Alzheimer gas or whatever that they did in the first film. He is just sort of evolved independently from a zoo. And so he's learned how to speak English but can't speak sign language. And so... Well, just sorry, just a normal monkey without any kind of neurological enhancement has learned how to talk. No, the idea is that... Uh, uh, no, I, I'm trying matter. to understand. I promise you, <laughs> so That's not an insidious question. You're disdain for this movie. It's distracting <laughs> it wasn't, for It wasn't. I was really asking that question. I was going to come on to some disdain after I heard your answer. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Okay. Anyway, right. the high, whole idea is that it's other ape communities other than the main one. It's not just one little community. Got it, got and it. And it hints at possible future things or whatever. Mm. But he tries to add in some humour and jokes and he's kind of a fraidy cat. And because he's talking, he can do punchlines. It's very hard to do punchlines when you're doing ape sign language. Yes, I bet. But I don't think that worked, actually. In fact, I thought it was a detractor from the film because it's so invested in the serious tone and the sort of dark and broody storyline of Caesar and his revenge that then having a guy sort of doing quite silly childlike jokes, I think it kind of spoils it. And also knowing the fact that it's that actor... His voice is so distinctive that him going, me bad ape, it just means I see, I see the guy behind the, uh, the monkey. <laughs> Pulling a face. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it slightly ruined it for me a bit. I wish they hadn't really gone for the humour, but kept the character there. That would have been fine. Yeah, sure. How is Woody Harrelson's character alongside the apes? Strong. I mean, it's obviously going for Vietnam sort of apocalypse now type characterization. Um, but there's some interesting ideas behind what he's doing. There's good motivations to what he does. Uh, it's it's definitely invested in an idea of telling thematic story rather than just spectacle or anything like that. And you've got to give credit to the film because it's trying to do something which I think lots of other blockbusters aren't doing, okay. which is tell a good story and tell a story which is um, based in the characters that it started off with. It's certainly a franchise I did not anticipate lasting as long as this, I have to say. Yeah, it's kind of unexpected. And I feel like from the last film and this film, I think it is deserved that it's got this sort of reputation now 
and is doing relatively well, I think. Okay. But so you enjoyed it, in other words? I did, but it never... Unfortunately, the sort of super ponderous nature of it, the in- introspection of uh, Caesar, is a little bit slow and a little bit dull. But at the same time, I wanted to know where the story was going to go. It just took a lot, long time for it to get there. And then there's kind of a shift uh, midway through the film where it stops being about revenge and starts being just slightly different, which I wasn't that much of a fan of the, the shifting in the tone. I think if they stuck to the idea of it being a re- revenge story, I would think it would have worked much better. But I don't think it's a waste of time. I think it's interesting. I'd happily watch an- another one if they did make another one. I think it's probably worth your ticket if you are a fan of the previous ones. Okay, and if you haven't seen the franchise at all, are you telling them that they need to go and rent it immediately? It's a must-watch? Uh, I think you should watch watch the previous one. I think you'd get lots out of the previous one. And I think if you enjoyed the previous one, you'd enjoy this one. Got it. All right. What's but the I think probably it's a B plus, maybe B, B, B plus. B, 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 B. I mean, you don't have to go based on my reaction. No, no, no. <laughs> I think I was thinking about it. It's hard to grade because I like some parts of it and other parts are frustrating. I think it's a very solid movie. And compared to lots of blockbusters out there, it's very different. I'd check it out if you're bored of the summer sort of spectacle. Got it. Any bonuses? It's quite fun seeing them try and tie it up to the other... With Charlton other Heston. Fran- yeah, the Charlton Heston franchise. And they do try to start to make attempts to do that. But of course, in the original Planet of the Apes, it's because of like a nuclear holocaust. At the yeah, Apes very spot. different business. Whereas in, the, in this franchise, it's because of Chase Franco and his uh, drugs. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? I mean, it's way more sort of socio-political uh, satire and stuff, the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, also, there's a little bit of a, a mention of a wall and that, how crazy that is. And oh, think, no, really? Maybe this is... Uh, it's, yeah, it just seems a bit odd. And it's, it's weird when politics starts seeping <laughs> yeah. in, especially hypercurrent politics. It just feels hypercurrent politics in a movie about apes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just right? like, what, what are you doing? The thing is, Phil, I mean, everything you said is quite compelling. So thanks for that. And listeners, please send in your thoughts if you've seen this to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. Give Phil a plus one if he's right, minus one if he's wrong. When we watched that clip just now, all I could think was that monkey literally looks like it has a bottom for a face and it's saying really serious things. And I can't take talking bottoms very seriously. And I, I, I just think there's... Are you talking about their noses? <laughs> no, no, no. There's that one ape that has the big flaps of skin on it. Oh. Of his head. Is it an orangutan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just... And I, I just can't get over it. It makes me wonder whether there's a, an interesting section we could do. I think you're on, ape on racist. disbelief that you cannot suspend. Well, no, that's not a very nice <laughs> thing to say. But do you know what I mean? There are some hurdles that people just cannot get over. And you see it like uh, there is some uh, more Same elderly. with people like elves and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, so my wife, Judith, would say whenever I've suggested to her, let's watch Star Trek. She'd say, oh, I don't want to watch that. And I'd be like, why? And she'd say, I don't like their ears. And that's it. That is her only reason for not wanting to watch it. She doesn't like the pointy ears. And she cannot, she can't get over that hill. No matter how sort of silly it might seem. So What's anyway. funny is that you've got quite pointy ears, Laurie. I do have very pointy ears. Maybe that's why she doesn't want to watch it. It makes her think I'm more alien than uh, human. Anyway, look, this all rubbish. Thanks, okay, Phil. There Good you job. go. Good all job. Good the job. Planet Larry and I kept on thinking whenever I was the opening of the trailer is like, ah. Yeah. That's from a Beatles song. I thought it was um, Guardians Galaxy trailer. <laughs> oh, I know what <laughs> you mean. Every time. And then yeah, I'd be yeah. like, oh, it's actually very hilarious. <laughs> I know. I completely agree with you there. It, 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 it did set off some weird sort of triggers, doesn't it? L- listeners, Valerian and a City of a Thousand Planets is a Luc Besson film. I think it's following Lucy, isn't it? What are you laughing at? <laughs> I didn't realise we'd started. I, I was telling you what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, that's our intro now. Oh, right. Did you not yeah. realise? <laughs> no, great. Let's carry on. I'm rusty. <laughs> I'm rusty. <laughs> <laughs> we are just back from holiday. That's how that goes. Uh, yeah, he d- he just did Lucy. Did you see Lucy with Scarlett Johansson? I saw the end of Lucy the other day on television. What did um, you make of it? It was kind of crazy, but fun. Do you think it was fun? Good. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think Luke Besson's always about fun, isn't he? Do you think so? How interesting comment. I mean, Leon is not exactly about fun, is it? I think it is about fun. 
Well, how about that? That's a fight for a later day, isn't it? Uh, I don't know, listeners, whether you've seen many of his films. He's a really sort of fascinating guy. The, the one that always stands out for me is The Fifth Element, which I absolutely love to this day. I think it holds up in terms of a sci-fi space adventure better than loads and loads of films. I think like the costume design, the set design and the, the staging of all the action, everything is so sort of compelling and solid. It doesn't matter that some of the effects look a bit dated. It looks a bit like The Muppets, but it's, it still works. It's still a compelling story, isn't it? it I, yeah, I genuinely think it's a genius bit of filmmaking and kind of bonkers. It really hit that 90s aesthetic very well. So I, I really rate the guy, and I would kind of watch anything that he puts his name to. That also happens to include The Transporter, which I think he was the producer for. I don't think he directed it, uh, which, of course, introduced Jason Statham to the world in a fantastic way. Did you know he's also relatively behind Taken with Liam Neeson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's kind of, he's a bit of a chameleon in cinema but one thing that you would say based on all those films is that he's an entertainer he seems to know how to do a blockbuster and that's quite unusual because he's kind of outside of the hollywood system he's a french filmmaker he's got his own company called europa corp and i think he is someone who has publicly expressed that he likes to work outside the system whenever possible and this film Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets represents that more than anything else that he's done. It's a really interesting production story. So this is a film he's wanted to make for over 20 years. Wow. It's a French comic book series from the 1960s that he loved. And apparently while he was working on The Fifth Element, one of the artists for that comic book series was helping design the characters for The Fifth Element. Wow, okay. And said to Luke Besson, why are you doing this? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> uh, you should just make Valerian instead. And Luke Besson kept on saying, well, it's just not the right time. Special effects haven't caught up to it. It's, it's not possible yet. Clearly now he thinks it's the right time. So he's assembled something like $175 million budget for this film, which is independent of the big studio. Which is ridiculous money. That is ridiculous money outside of the studio system. I think it is one of the largest independent productions ever made, certainly the largest French production ever made as well. There's a lot of risk <laughs> attached to this. Mm. Not only is it his big dream, the thing that he's always wanted to do but felt it wasn't the right time, but there's a lot of other people who are really hoping his dream succeeds. And I really want to communicate that to you because wouldn't it be amazing if a film like this, a plucky film that brings together lots of people to make a big spectacle, could show the big studios, you know, oh, we can do this just as well as you can and we don't need your constraints, your shackles, your sort of corporate concerns. Aren't you buying the dream, Phil? Yeah, very much so. I'm super excited to see this film, okay. almost regardless of what you say. Well, that's good to hear, Phil. Good. Hang on to that, please. Uh, yeah, listeners, this stars Dane DeHaan as Valerian, who is a sort of space special agent uh, for the humans, and his partner, not in crime, partner in justice, uh, Laureline, who is played by Cara Delevingne. They're sort of young, super competent, super cool, super charming space agents flying around the galaxy doing various different tasks. We meet them reviewing uh, an old mission that they've done, and then we get to see them doing a mission that vaguely uh, relates to the rest of the plot, where they visit an interdimensional marketplace, where they kind of have to wear VR headsets to see through the dimensions. And there's some really clever, wow. really genuinely amazingly clever action, which involves Valerian's arm, like being in a different dimension than the rest of his body. Uh, and the way that that means he's able to do stealth. It's like, good. I'm glad you're reacting like that, Phil. Listen, you can't see his face. Isn't that kind of trippy already? Yeah, yeah. Trust me, the visuals and the way that that is all staged is as bonkers and amazing as you can possibly imagine. Mm. But that's not really the main story. The main story is basically Avatar by James Cameron. So it's this weird uh, paradise planet inhabited by aliens that look exactly like the Avatar aliens. And they've got these mysterious pearls. Sort of beaches. Aren't yeah, exactly. These mysterious pearls, which appear to be of great worth. We witness their planet being destroyed and there's some kind of mystery to do with it as well. And uh, eventually all parts collide at the International Space Station station 
which, and this is how the film actually opens, you know, used to be the tiny space station we all know now. But over something like 400 years, gradually the station expanded as technology improved and various alien species came to meet the humans and establish diplomatic relations with them. And gradually the space station grows and grows and grows to the point where it can't stay in Earth's orbit anymore. So it jettisons off to the galaxy and has become Space Station Alpha, home to a thousand different alien species plus. So which is why... The City of a Thousand thousand Planets. planets. It's sort of this weird galactic centre, diplomatic centre, where there are amazing environments uh, which cater to specific aliens and what they need. There's like Space New York. Kind of, but even bigger than that. I think there's something like six million people there. In fact, Phil, we can hear uh, the film itself tell us all about this station in the clip that we've got. So this is Laureline and Valerian. In their spaceship, after completing that interdimensional market mission, and they're listening to the ship's computer, Alex, tell them all about the space station they're coming into. Here we go. Conveniently telling us about it as well. Well, let's come on to that, yes. Welcome to Alpha, the city of a thousand planets. Alex, can you update us? I'd be delighted to. The Alpha station has grown 7% this year. And since it left the terrestrial orbit, it has traveled almost 700 million miles. Population? Almost 30 million. 3,236 species from the four corners of the universe live on board, pooling their knowledge and cultures. Over 5,000 languages spoken, not counting the various computer languages. Demographics? To the south are the submerged parts with 800 species living in all kinds of liquids such as the peaceful Polong farmers who grow cobalt. To the north, we have gaseous lands dominated by the Azim Mo, whose extreme sensitivity makes them specialists in neurosciences and molecular components. They can build cells of any kind. To the east of them, the large colony of Omelites. They control information technology, finance, and banking. Finally, to the west, in a pressurized atmosphere, we have 9 million humans and compatible species. Home sweet home. Yeah, there we go. That gave you a little indication, right? And now you say, incredibly useful for the computer to say all that to them, isn't it? Yeah. It's is a good it, way to do exposition, I have to say. Well, is it though? Because it's not just the computer telling you. Dane DeHaan is actually asking the computer for that information. And uh, later on in the same conversation, they say it's their home. So he's asking a computer for demographic and historical information about the place yeah, that they bad live plotting. in. Yeah, bad writing. And also the computer uses the phrase such as. How often do you hear computers say that? So the computer just helpfully gives an example. It says, oh, look, there's an aquatic. Computers uh, are the future, zone, my friends. Which Siri's is getting very advanced these days. Species such as this species. <laughs> it's very concise and useful, isn't it? I, I feel, what happened to this film? It's like someone has never seen a film before wrote this thing. I really feel for Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne because basically their performances are bad. But it must be mainly to do with the script. I don't know why they stuck to the script. I wish they could have just said, my character would never say that. Or, is this like, what my character's actually shifted like? shifted it through. Yeah, exactly. Or they just didn't realise who their characters were. And maybe they just thought, let's just get this film done. And if it works, it works. And that's fine. But I, I can't imagine that any of the actors involved in this film were happy with the lines that they were given. It's that, that level of That bad. clunky. Yeah, then if you move on to the plotting, oh dear. I mean, Luke Besson, like the story behind it, the fact that he dreamt to make it happen and the thing holding him back was the special effects is really obvious because there are set pieces and parts of this film that have absolute, absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the story itself. The story is buried horribly uh, within set pieces and action sequences so that you don't really care. Is it basically happening. an investigation into... 
something that's attacking them. Well, I'll tell you. So when they get home to the station, and bearing in mind, this is like half an hour into the film, maybe 20 minutes into the film, after that marketplace sequence, they discover that there's a radioactive zone within Space Station Alpha that is growing, and it's dangerous. And if it keeps growing, then it's going to start killing some of the species. That's not just bad for loss of life, but it's bad for diplomacy, because mm. this is a you know representatives of thousands and thousands of worlds. And they want these special agents to go in and, and deal with it, find out what the source is and why. But they take a really terribly meandering path and stuff goes wrong along the way. The particular thing I think everyone will think if they watch this film is that beyond a certain point, Cara Delevingne's character accidentally touches a fluorescent butterfly which gets hooked up to a, a fishing rod and she accidentally gets caught in like a net for these weird species who are kind of what I thought might be racist stereotypes of tribes people. Uh, oh, really? Less said about that, the better. Then begins another 20-minute sequence, which has nothing to do with anything. And this is the sequence that features Ethan Hawke as a space pimp. Sorry, that's what it is. Uh, and Rihanna, shape-shifting pole dancer. And it also involves vomiting in the face gags and Cara Delevingne shouting at aliens. So, I mean, can you do any of those sort of tones match up, Phil? Space pimps and vomit in the face guys. But the thing is, you're saying all this and having watched the trailer and sort of having my own ideas, I can kind of see almost the vision of what this movie could be and what it wants to be. And it's sort of this magnificent world of space and exciting, kind of like a new Star Wars. And then you've got these two special agents who are trying to solve a mystery and they've got they've got to go to all of these different species and things that sounds like the perfect recipe for a great movie yeah it does and it got messed up just got lost do you think this is what i mean that the, the uh, what i i think the phrase i would use is it's tripping over its own ambitions this film knows the budget that it's attracted this film knows the potential it has to do a new spacey franchise that is not made in the hollywood system it'd be a big win for europe if it succeeded right so the pressure is on to create two charming leads who have a will they won't they relationship the pressure is on to create a universe that is so wild and diverse and imaginative, people just can't wait to see what is around the next corner. The pressure is on to create some kind of political atmosphere that is ripe for plots to develop because these are special agents, right? None, none of it works. The attempt to bring all those things together is a delusional mess, basically. It's a crying shame, then. It's genuinely a crying shame because the visuals are amazing. And some of the set pieces are just incredibly imaginative. Like, really, there's a scene where, again, for spurious reasons... Uh, Cara Delevingne's character has to go underwater with a weird sort of uh, eccentric fisherman guy in a submarine to extract a brain jellyfish from the back of a gigantic whale in the space station. <laughs> uh, and she's using the jellyfish to try and find out something. Like, And that, that sequence is so weird. It's a bit like the Star Wars 1 The Phantom Menace bit, yeah. but kind of done right. It is well made. There are these three pterodactyl-looking aliens who are kind of information brokers who always know the right place in the right time and have information. You don't know how they could possibly have it, but they're always bargaining and bartering and they speak, uh, you know, in sequence, like their muses or witches out of a Shakespeare play. Yeah, yeah. Great idea on its own and they interface quite well, but it just doesn't make any, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make it doesn't sense. Gel. It doesn't make sense. Like it's so infuriating to see the way that this film ended up and there are flashes of brilliance, but it really is the mess that people are saying it is. Do you think it's the sort of film which if somebody came in and script doctored it and kind of cleaned it up and polished it up and did a second draft, it could have been an absolute gem. I think they needed to cut out huge amounts. So it's not just a case of polishing it up. I think it needed serious streamlining. If they have the ambition, which it would seem they do, to make this into a franchise, they needed to have smaller ambitions. They needed to introduce the characters and make the characters people we care about and want to see more of. You can't just give us an epic space adventure in one go and expect all the elements to be perfectly aligned. You know, Star Wars itself 
has you know big events but it feels very small because you're constantly with this small group of people like as they make their way through things and they don't get it half the time whereas this one you're with special agents who should know everything already they don't know anything because yeah um, it's the and that's one of the things that really bugged me about the performances and the characterization because there's nothing special about these special agents and after a while that started to annoy me i was thinking why exactly are these young couple here being given so much respect and so much authority they don't seem to be able to do anything the like sort a, of thing was if they if one of them was like their first day it would work much better yeah exactly right so they got a lot of promise but not really there yet. I mean, there's a scene in there where Carl Delevingne is directing Valerian as he runs around the space station in a spectacular sequence, by the way, where she sends him to the wrong place because she's got her display upside down. Is that a joke? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a joke. It's not presented like a joke. Valerian's response is everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, but you're special agents. You're special agents with the army, like gritty men looking up to you. L- listeners, I'm, I apologize. This is hard to listen to. I am so disappointed in the way that this film turned out. Uh, final thing I'll mention, because a lot of people are talking about it, is Dane DeHaan. A lot of people think he's completely miscast because he's trying to be a rakish Harrison Ford-like character. I didn't I didn't get the impression that he'd be miscast. No, neither do I, Phil. I don't think he's miscast. I think he's terribly written. So there's, there's a particular moment where you realise it's the writing in his character arc, in my opinion, where he literally says, here's a bit of a character exposition for you, that's just who I am, I follow the rules. And yet the entire film up to that point, that is not what he has done. Mm. So what I and it turned, that that is apparently what the character in the comic books is like, someone who follows the rules. But they rewrote him and then decided to come back. It's te- terrible. So I think mm. Dan Hahn's fine. I think he's well cast. I think he, he fits the sort of talented, weird, super space agent guy quite well. Charles Delevingne, I think, is also quite well cast. And, you know, from not a strong start in The Enchantress in Suicide Squad... She's fine. She's got this sort of brassy confidence about her that does work quite well. And I actually do think there could have been good chemistry between the two if both their characters had been written properly. It's like he doesn't really know how to write a suave, sophisticated guy, and which is not that surprising given the characters he's worked with before. Like Bruce Willis is a brute, isn't he? So is uh, the transporter guy. He has hardly any dialogue. You don't tend to see best on writing charming chaps no and way. even leon is kind of this sort of stoic guy isn't he yeah exactly he's an unusual sort of bloke so i think there's Quite all simple isn't he all kinds of problems going on in the film so uh the grade i will have to give it unfortunately i think it's a c plus film oh i'm yeah. sad about that i think i will still see it though it's really worth a go because the visuals are breathtaking and it is it really wants to make audiences have a good time and that's something I give it a lot of credit for. It knows who its audience is. It really, you, and if you hear Luke Besson talk about it, it's obvious he's desperate for people to be captivated and to fall in love with it the way that he has. Do you think it could become a cult classic? I'd say there's a possibility of it, but I think that's, isn't it sad failure, that people are it? already talking about that as its hope? Mm. that's a problem isn't it with the money that's involved there's no time for it to become it a cult classic appeal, doesn't it? yeah it's not going to happen and I think listeners you know the trailers do a good job of making it look huge and incredible go and watch it and sadly be as disappointed as me I think go and watch it and be disappointed well I think it's kind of an interesting experience from that point of view what was your bonus? Oh, yeah. Well, I just found myself wondering about the concept of means-tested reviews <laughs> and means-tested uh, performance appraisals. I feel a bit, you know, sad about this because I thought Cara Delevingne did quite a good job. And when I was reading what other people had written about her, there was someone who specifically said, oh, Cara Delevingne, she doesn't deserve her chance because of where she's come from. And I thought, what are they talking about? It's ridiculous. And they said, well, there's a specific comment they made that said her Wikipedia page is longer than Winston Churchill's. And I looked her up and they're not wrong, actually. She does have a very long Wikipedia page. And the reason she has got her start 
in acting is because she is one of the richest people in the country, I think, uh, coming from a very, very rich peerage-type family. She's been a model. She's just basically everything she could have wanted to do, she's done. I think her talent is there, actually. I don't think she's, you know, just a chancer. I think she can do it. But it did make me think. I'd be interested in the concept of means-tested performance appraisals because when you've got that much money and the time that comes with it... You oh, you probably, mean, like, financially? Yeah, you probably can be quite a good actor because you can spend weeks in front of the mirror you don't have to go and earn a living you've got the money you can just spend ages practicing your eyebrows moving but benedict cumberbatch is quite wealthy isn't he went to eaton didn't he and stuff. yeah it's weird. so did uh, tom so what's did his name tom hiddleston so did eddie redmayne i think if you start looking as a large number of british especially performers come from very very wealthy backgrounds so i was thinking actually we should means test it because of course they're going to be better they've, had the, they've had the time to put in the practice mm, interesting interesting okay bye <laughs> Right, a film with um, the least appealing name in the cinema thus far, The Big Sick. Yeah, which is a bit confusing as you watch this film, but I'm going to give you a plot synopsis which will make more sense of it, okay? Okay, okay. So this is a film which is kind of like a star vehicle for Kamal Nanjiani. Kamal Nanjiani, yeah. I'm probably saying it wrong, apologies. This is a a uh, Pakistani-born American comedian who has been a massive star in Silicon Valley, if you've seen that show. I haven't, but... An HBO show, which uh, stars TJ Miller as well, and it's done really, really well. It's been a surprise hit for HBO, and it's all about sort of a tech startup in Silicon Valley. I've seen him uh, do a little pop-up cameo in Central Intelligence, where he played a sort of security guard who had a box of snakes. Do you remember that? Something like that. He's done a lot of... funny. He's a funny guy. He's done a lot of bit parts, but this is him taking... Uh, centre stage and also sort of writing uh, a movie about his own life. He's playing himself and he's playing a stand-up comedian who is trying to make it big. He's in Chicago. He's got kind of a ragtag team of other comedians around him. And uh, at one of his shows, he happens to get heckled by a quite pretty, nice girl who's played by Zoe Kazan. And that kind of leads them to having a little bit of a, a chat and a little bit of a drink after the show. Leads them to kind of start a little bit of a romance, even though he's Pakistani and she's not. And even though his family, his mother in particular, is desperately trying to set him up with an arranged marriage. And so like every Sunday dinner, he has somebody happen to drop in who just happens to be a very nice girl who is not white, unlike Zoe Kazan's character. Okay, okay. So even though he's getting these uh, kind of meet and greets arrangement things produced by his mother, he's on the side, secretly, unbeknownst to his family, dating this girl, Zoe Kazan, who's called Emily, I think, in the film. And the film is quite gentle in its approach. It's quite like a mellow sort of film until it turns out that uh, Emily is not very well and, in fact, is quite sick. And Kamal has to make a decision because he's the only one there put her into a medically induced coma. Whoa, really? Yeah. So she goes into a medically induced coma and then her parents arrive and they meet her boyfriend who is not white and is from a completely different culture. And he has to meet them and kind of be with them as they deal with this thing. And at the same time, dealing with the pressure of uh, his family, wanting him to get married, wanting him to kind of do the classic Pakistani route of life. But he is American now and he's living an American life. He's a stand up comic. So you've got kind of this clashing of two worlds yeah. situation and you've got this sort of medical drama and family drama. I was going to say, I mean, that really heightens the tension of all the other stuff, right? Yeah. And it kind of comes in quite late into the film. So I knew the plot of this film going into seeing it. 
and it takes a while for that little dynamic to emerge. But it's not a spoiler, you don't think? I don't think so, because it's called The Big Sick. Oh, <laughs> and so, right, that makes sense of it then. So okay. if you don't know about oh, okay. The Big Sick, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. So I think that's the kind of main thrust of the story, and that's when kind of all the different plot threads merge, and you have that sort of tension. So we've got a clip actually here of Kamal meeting his girlfriend's parents, and in the hospital, she's, she's not very well, she's in the coma. And here is the sort of uh, racial tension and humour that this film was going for. Uh, I think it gives a really good sense of this guy's deadpan delivery and how, how good he is at that. So here we go. So, uh, 9-11. No, I mean, I've always wanted to have a conversation with, about it with people. You've never talked to people about 9-11? No, what's your, what's your stance? What's my stance on 9-11? Oh, um, anti. It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? That was a joke, obviously. 9-11 was a terrible tragedy, and it's not funny to joke about it. You wonder if maybe this is actually based on true life conversations. Well, I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who have asked that ridiculous of a question to this guy. So this film is produced by Apatow Productions. Do you know who Apatow might refer to? John Apatow, Film Anchorman. Yeah, he's the guy behind pretty much all the big American comedies that you've seen. He's the guy behind Knocked Up. He's behind Superbad. He's behind... Step Brothers, I think. Step Brothers, Anchorman. Personally, I think he's on a downward slope, but, you know, had a great thing at one point, certainly. He did that film Funny People. Do you remember that one with Adam Sandler and uh, Seth Rogen? I don't actually know. About a stand-up comedian getting cancer. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So he has a bit of a history of doing kind of funny, sad films. He likes the idea of funny, sad films. So he takes uh, funny people and puts them into quite dramatic, sad territory. And I think he has a belief that that's where real humour can emerge. But obviously he didn't write this. He just produced it, yeah? Yeah, but you can see why this film and the narrative of this film might appeal to his production company. Sure, sure. Because it's about stand-up comedians and it's about something which is difficult and, and hard work and the humour in that. Yeah, yeah, got it. The film is I essentially, I think, going for a romantic comedy and I think ultimately it wasn't as romantic as I thought it would be and it wasn't as comedic as I thought it would be. But that doesn't mean you're not saying as romantic or comedic as you wanted it to be, just different than you had expected. It is a different film, but I think it's been presented as a romantic comedy. I think my main problem with the film is the fact that the tone is very flat. It's very deadpan. I think that's kind of the, the way to do it. The, the mood of the film is very deadpan. The, the romantic bits as, uh, as uh, Kamal uh, romances his lady are quite gentle and just sort of nice. They're not sort of blisteringly uh, witty dialogue. It's quite gentle. And so there's nothing really sensational about that. Uh, the characters in the film are quite authentic and real and the dr- drama of the film seems quite real and the tension with his family and what they want for him and what he wants for his own life, it seems very real and authentic. But it's never, it never kind of goes beyond a real-life sort of spectrum. Okay. So therefore, it's not that cinematic. It feels almost more like a TV mini miniseries. I sort of need to stop you there, Phil, because you on the podcast uh, have been a champion of those small films uh, with mid-range budgets. And in fact, only a couple of weeks ago, you said you wanted to see more rom-coms on the screen. Exactly. So I went into this film really keen and eager. I really wanted it to be successful. I wanted to see 
a movie which was going to be fun and romantic and charming. And I think this main guy, Kamal Nanjiani, he is very funny in his deadpan humor, like in that clip. But as a character, he isn't that funny. In the world of this film, he's not that funny, I don't think. Okay. And even the stand-up comedy moments where you see his friends doing their little stand-up bits, they're not that funny. Oh, really? And so you kind of get this weird thing where it's a world of funny people and they're not being that funny. And it's a bit awkward. And then there's not really any set pieces to get any humour. There's not sort of the meet the parents, set fire to the the wedding altar moment or lose the cat moment. There's none of that sort of dynamic to the film. And actually the bits which are most successful are the bits with his own family and with her family. Those bits feel very real and true and honest and funny as well because it's a world which probably most people don't really realise or notice. And also the kind of tension, like we heard in that clip, of that racial element, but not necessarily being racist. Yeah, sure. And did you feel like you learned something there? Because this is quite, it's quite a fun perspective, right? To learn about a dynamic that, as you say, not many people are familiar with. Did you feel like you learned, got any insight? Sort of, but I think it's very much for Western audiences, if that makes any sense. Right. um, The film which I came from coming back to, and then it's not the same culture, it's not the same religion or anything like that, but Bennett Light Beckham, I think, is kind of the British version of this idea right. of a sort of romantic comedy film which deals with quite heartfelt issues. Not much culture. comedy in that film, though. Wow. Bennett Light Beckham. I think there is a bit of well, humour and fun. It's certainly meant to be there, yeah. And actually, I think Bennett Light Beckham was a, a really, really big, successful Hard film. Hard to forgive it for launching Keira Knightley and Jonathan Rhys-Meyers, though. Keira, Knight- Keira Knightley's fine. So having that in the background of seeing that film, dealing with Sikhs and and, uh, and dealing with British culture and football and, and women trying to do something which isn't really appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think Bennett Light Beckham is the same idea, but more going on and more interesting Even and more, more sense of fun. Wow, okay. That's and a so, big statement. And so I think this film, I think, is making lots of critical waves because of its subject matter, because it is about a Muslim-American. Possibly the, the timing of it. Yeah, yeah the current, right, current yeah, political yeah, yeah. climate. But actually, I think it's like, oh, for British people, it's like we've, we've kind of already done this. We've seen this sort of type of film, not in the same situation, but the type of film already. So then you get onto the medical side of it, which is the unusual element, the medical coma, which is a really odd dynamic. And it is quite dramatic and quite sad and painful. And I think those bits are quite well done with the parents sort of dealing with the the strain and stress of their daughter in a really not good state. But it doesn't seem to match the things that go before it. It doesn't really match the, the romantic story that you've been presented. At the centre of all of these these things is Zoe Kazan, cast as uh, Emily, his, his girlfriend. Yeah. I don't think she's well cast at all. I think she is manic pixie dream girl to a t she's kind oh, of really yeah and uh, it's so frustrating that's worrying because then presumably this is how kumail sees this girl that he liked a lot sort of but i don't know maybe she is just that's just what her character was actually like and maybe that's what she was what she was like i don't know it's hard to say against real life but i think she's presented as sort of this ideal this sort of fun endlessly entertaining girl who's just completely smitten with him for not massive amounts of reason right as very much is more like real life. You don't really know why. Of course, girls, girls no, like no, it's you, a complete you just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she just, she, there's not enough time spent to really anchor their relationship, to really make you believe in their relationship, their dynamic. There's not enough rom- romantic comedy in the beginning half so that when you get into the really troublesome area of her being in a medical coma, you're not as invested in her as you should be. But her parents are brilliant. They're played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. 
who are super, super actors to have in your film. Yeah, definitely. And they deliver their lines really, really well. Holly Hunter is brilliant as sort of an uptight, stressful mother. Ray Romano is brilliant as, as you heard in that clip, a slightly awkward, slightly unfunny, but funny father figure who very clearly cares about his kid. Yeah. Well, Phil, I have to admit, I mean, everything you're saying does make me think it's worth watching. I mean, if, even if you have seen Bennett like Beckham already, there's there's enough here to make it interesting and dramatic. I get the impression a lot of people would really like it, which is probably why it's done so well at the box office and with critics. I think I might have... I, I, but it's difficult because my experience watching it was it was too long. It felt a bit thin and a bit baggy and a bit loose and not like there's not enough there. It's it's kind of a nice story. And when you tell them the key parts of the story, it sounds interesting and engaging. The reality was I didn't really laugh very much and okay. I wasn't that charmed and it wasn't that romantic. And so I was left with kind of a, a film that I wanted to be much better but wasn't quite there. And I'm still clamouring for that romantic comedy film to come out. Yeah, you are. You've been doing it for a while. Well, let's wait and see what happens. What would your grade be for this one? I think I'd probably give it um, a B minus. I think it's a very flat sort of movie, but I maybe that's just me not being American, not being Pakistani, not being a Muslim. So I'm not engaging with it in the right way. I don't know. But I have a feeling lots of people will see it and think that wasn't that romantic. That wasn't that funny. Okay, listeners, let us know your thoughts. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at Superbellybros on Twitter. Any bonuses? It's really awkward seeing stand-up comedians who you know are funny not be funny. Is it because it's scripted or something? I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's got Bo Burnham, who you might have heard of as a stand-up comedian. He's one of the comedians that is friends with Kamal. And uh, he, he has a joke which is meant to be very funny because it gets him some attention from an agent. And I thought that's most boring bit of comedy i've ever heard no 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 but maybe it's true and that's just the state of things i don't know it's just weird it's weird uh but there you go big sick what is what is the beguile what does that mean do you know what a beguiling is oh that smell is very beguiling for example is it like enchanting yeah you could say so so it's kind of oh this is something very good for intoxicating so if you were saying the beguiled there might be people who have been Intoxicated. Precisely so, Phil. Listeners, The Beguiled is Sofia Coppola's film. Cannes Film Festival did really well. I think we said that a million times. I think she won the best director. Well done, Sofia. Hooray. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Sorry. Did I say I'm not feeling very well? Um, yeah, she's great. I love Sofia Coppola. Uh, Lost in Translation is the film that's introduced her to me. And I thought she that film is just amazing. Go see that one for sure. Should you watch The Beguiled? That's the question. This is based on a book. Uh, I think it's called The Painted Devil, which is written a long time ago. And it's about an injured soldier fighting for, Phil, help me out with some American history, the Yankees. The North. The North in the Civil War in the 1800s. And this was basically, was it a religious war or more through slavery, would you say, Phil? Gosh, it's it's entirely due to the, the seceding of the South. They wanted to be separate from America and start their own country. Right. And uh, then there was a civil war because Abraham Lincoln said, nope, you're not leaving. You're part of the United States. Stay in the United States. Boom, Abe, good old Abe. So now, and it's important to get some context there because I, I believe the South was particularly characterised for uh, like a certain style of opulence. Plantations southern, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Plantations and Southern ladies, uh, kind of very... Gone with the wind. Yeah, gone with the wind. Exactly. Tara, right. That's right. She is a Southern belle, isn't she? That's the whole yeah. business with her. But there, there, there's a lot of sort of puritanical propriety in society, isn't it? Like very high neck dresses. Very People, Christian. Exactly. Dress very well. Christian in a way, anyway. In an American modestly. South way. 
also slaves as well. Like the South was known for wanting the practice of slavery to continue, whereas I believe a big outcome of the Civil War... <laughs> Your ignorance was... <laughs> no, don't say this. It's, it's, just like, it's like torture to me, like the fact that you have no idea about America. Well, come on, I asked you to fill me in there, man. Come on, <laughs> this film doesn't do that for us, so this is why I'm doing it now. Well, you've got it. Carry on. Well, you so, so you said I'm ignorant. What have I got wrong there? You're just it's just the way you're talking about it. Like you do nothing. It's just oh, so funny. Come well, on. You've got to you're give a smart me, man. You've got to tell me something then. If I got nothing, tell me something. But my point is that I, that's something in history that people talk about. Like the South were known more in, or certainly in the films that I've seen, Phil, not the history books which I haven't read. Uh, a lot of slavery happened in the South. Happened South, in North uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. But Abraham Lincoln wanted to abolish it, and I know that from the film Lincoln by Steven Spielberg. So <laughs> that <laughs> oh we got lost in a terrible mire of historical inaccuracy <laughs> anyway there's the scene for you listeners and but this is towards the end of the civil war in which the south lost the confederates is that right they were yeah. losing and so at this seminary for young women it's kind of a school to learn manners and uh, learn french and learn how to be proper ladies run by nicole kidman who's playing miss martha a southern lady uh, she's got a whole host of young girls with her. Only women, though. Only women in this place. Gotcha. Partly because all the young men have left to go and fight, but also because of where they are. It's isolated. It's out of the loop. Occasionally, they hear cannon fire in the distance. They walk around and there's sort of smoke throughout the air, just kind of descending because of relentless battles being fought all over the, the country. And one day, uh, one of the young girls called Amy comes across a wounded North soldier, Yankee. I think it's Unionist. Thanks, Phil. Mr. Well, I don't know. Actually, I'm wearing sli- an American hat. I'm slightly worried that I, I'm getting it all wrong. But Come on, we know. can't keep going on this road. Anyway, he's one of the, he's one of the enemy as far as they're concerned. <laughs> and he's wounded. He's got a very badly wounded leg. He calls out for help. He's by a tree and she helps him. She saves his life, basically, because he knows that not only might he die from his wound, he also will die if any patrols come and find him. And he'll be either rounded up by his own troops and shot because he's deserted or rounded up by the enemy and put into prison he doesn't want either of those things he begs her for help she takes him to the seminary and all of a sudden you've got this house of prim and proper ladies who haven't seen men for a long time who are intimidated because it's the war all over the country and here is rakish colin farrell the wounded soldier who is sat downstairs in a locked room while they tend to his wound and try and nurse him back to health. And that what they continually tell themselves is that once he's fit again, they will give him back or either just let him go to fend for himself or they'll give him back to their troops. So what with that setup, Phil, what do you think the sort of nature of the story might be? Well, based on the fact it's called The Beguiled, and we've mm. already discussed that, I'm guessing he romances these uh, rather innocent Southern Bells. Well, now that is actually the key question. And I think... You can tell a lot that it did so well at the festival and that Sofia Coppola directed it, a woman known for being interested in telling stories from a female perspective. So, yeah, either you tell the story from the man's perspective and it's all about how he tries his luck with these women or you tell it from the women's perspective and what it's like for them handling this it's sort of intruder in many ways into their little world. And Sofia Coppola definitely takes the latter. In fact, she's explicitly stated that she wanted to tell it from the women's point of view, particularly also because you don't tend to hear that many stories about the women left behind in the South when the Civil War was going mm. on. It tends to be more about the military action or slavery, that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. So that is the world that we find ourselves in. And I'm going to play you a clip. So here is Miss Martha talking to the girls at their very prim and proper dinner time about the fact that this soldier is there. There's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of uncertainty about how to deal with him. And this is her saying how they might benefit uh, in a young lady kind of way from a man being around. Here we go. It has occurred to me that we might reflect on the unexpected presence of Corporal McBurney in the house. 
Until his leg heals, of course. And we might discuss how we may practice compassion and what else we might learn from his presence here. What does each of you think of this? Miss Alicia, can you tell us what you think we may learn from his presence here? Um, maybe the sight of him will remind us there's something else in the world besides lessons. Oh, it seems to me that is all there should be for any young lady your age. Yeah, there you go. Could, did you find that funny at all, Phil? Can you hear any humour in that? Um, I'm guessing there might be some, but I didn't really pick up on it. Really? I'm sure there was. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> what I think this film does really brilliantly is creates that sort of tension natural to that scenario, but it builds it up bit by bit so that when you suddenly see flashes of what is going on beneath the surface of the women's relationship to one another and their sort of carefully constructed facades about who they are, especially mm. in a school where you're supposed to be, be learning how proper, to be... A, yeah. yeah, exactly. Then it, it's funny. It's it's like little gaps in the tension when everything is so tense, fit to burst. When little pockets of air pop out, right? Then you chuckle because it is funny. And I've, weirdly enough, Nicole Kidman's performance made me laugh the most. Really? Yeah, because she's playing the sort of the matriarch almost of this uh, place, and she's got so much sort of respect for herself. She really think takes her position seriously and her conviction seriously. So when you see her saying certain things and doing certain things, it's really funny to spot the way that her own facade is cracking. And I've got to, I think you've got to give Sofia Coppola credit for that because there's nothing in the context of this film that should make it funny. There's nothing really in the dialogue that should make it funny. It is entirely the atmosphere which massively succeeds in making you feel the tension and the bizarre situation uh, of all the context. And you think on. it's meant to be funny? I think it is meant to be sort of darkly humorous and it's supposed to be disorientating because the way that this, these women... You know, dominate this situation is sort of unexpected. You you're constantly flipped between you know who's really calling the shots here. These these women are all sort of beguiled and entranced by this charming soldier who is a bit of a cad and a bounder. I mean, he's a deserter. He's a man sort of without honour. He admits he came from Dublin just to make some money, soldier fortune style. Mm. But is he really in control? Is he manipulating these women with his charms? Because even the young girls, they want to bring him nests of birds that they found. There's another girl who brings him a book of prayer. You know, it's all. Or is it the other way around? And is this man actually becoming a piece uh, in what is a surprisingly tense battle between the women themselves and their views of the world and their own conceptions of their identity? Uh, and I suppose the main players are Nicole Kidman, who's the mistress of the house, then also Kirsten Dunst, who is playing the te- one of the teachers who's there, slightly older, but you know, also there for similar reasons. And then uh, Elle Fanning is playing uh, a sort of older teenager girl, and she is the most sort of precocious of them all and the most risk-taking when it comes to this man. Is it sort of just plodding and ponderous, or is it tightly plotted? Uh, I wouldn't say it's tightly plotted because the plot is incredibly simple. It's from 90, well, 75% of the film, it's atmosphere building. There are not many events that happen. There are sort of minuscule character interactions that hype up the tension and and the surroundings in it. The house itself sort of morphs and the camera angles and the room shots that get used change from Sofia Coppola's perspective, depending on the emotional context that's going on. Because eventually Colin Farrell does start to improve, his health improves, and he starts doing some gardening. And then the awkward question starts coming up, well, is he going to be returned? Or are we going to contrive some kind of way to keep him here? And maybe he wants to stay as well, so he's not caught as a deserter. And I just think it's incredibly skillful. You'll you'll find it very quiet and very sedate. It's only an hour and a half long, 
But I do believe anyone who watch it will get caught in Sofia Coppola's trap. I think it's very artfully done. Do you think it's benefiting from the fact that it's not an original idea from her? It certainly gives her more credibility for doing an alternative take because it's also been made into a film starring Clint Eastwood where the perspective was much more from his point of view. And I've heard critics of that film say, well, here's another film where Clint Eastwood is being adored by a horde of young ladies. Uh, And that is a slight feature of his films, especially this was in the 70s it was made uh, around that time period. Mm. So Sofia Coppola has free reign to say, well, there's a book done, there's a film done, I'm going to put my own spin on it. But I don't see that as a problem. I don't think it feels like a remake. Uh, certainly that film was 40 years old now not not bad timing what did you make of colin farrell i like him phil we talked about this a little bit you're not a fan of his he's very hit and miss he's very very hit and miss i kind of think he should be a bigger star than he is he's still quite a big name but his i think his off-screen personality kind of bleeds into his performances i think i think that's partly what makes him so good for this role because he speaks in his irish accent and he's a complete cad and a bounder but also charming that's his thing isn't it Mm. that's who colin farrell appears to be and so when there are moments of real tension that arise, because they inevitably do, he's very believable. I, I actually think he's really good. He just maybe lacks a bit of restraint in some of his performances, a bit too much intensity where it doesn't need to be. I think, listeners, it's not for everyone, this movie. You've got to be someone who appreciates uh, atmosphere and aesthetics, because a lot of it is about the dresses and about the house and about the you know the shrubbery and the deep south wildness that is quite unique. Sophia Coppola has said already that's one of the things that attracted her to the project, that it was kind of a beautiful place, but also a forgotten and a lost place. One of the famous things about the film is that Beyonce shot one of her videos at this house, at this place. It's a real location. And there's a famous photo of Beyonce sat in front of a specific mirror and it was recreated by Kirsten Dunst and Elle Fanning. They po- you really? can find it on the- But what's interesting about that is it sparked a whitewashing controversy because Sophia Coppola has eliminated racial aspects from the original story. Kirsten Dunst's character is a composite of a school teacher and another older girl who is mixed race. Um, right. And it is, it is interesting when you know that the relationship between Kirsten Dunst and Colin Farrell is more understandable because there's a sort of they both feel other from their situations and that's how they get on. But if she's mixed race, that really expands that mm. uh, in the, from the time period. And also a, a black servant who was there, a slave who was there, also just cut out. They explain it away in one line of dialogue which just says the slaves have already left. And so having that Beyonce comparison, people are saying, oh, this is just more evidence of a, a whitewashed uh, production. Do you think that's justified or do you think uh, that's maybe just looking for blood? I think it's a very difficult thing to get right these days. I would say that I think it probably is justified to a certain extent. I can see how Sofia Coppola would justify it, which is that she wanted to tell a story and she wanted to tell quite a subtle story about the way that these women who are all similar but slightly different, you know, were at each other's throats and alternately and adding... sisterhood, but also jealousy, all that sort of stuff. And she might have felt that adding a racial dimension to it would have slightly clouded the story she wanted to tell. But the mere fact that she thought that was a decision that was hers to make sort of is problematic. So Mm. I'm I'm slightly on the fence. And but yeah, tough one, you know, figure out yourselves, listeners. Um, But yeah, it's a small film, interesting film. It does toy with your feelings about the actions that go on. It'll surprise you. It probably will make you laugh in a sort of nervous laughter kind of way. Not necessarily for the faint of heart, because there are quite a few surgery scenes and the film is 15 rated, I think must be entirely for that. Medical stuff. Yeah, and but it's important that it's there because it adds in a very specific element to the film. You know, there's quite a striking moment where um, Nicole Kidman's beautiful white dress is just covered in blood, basically, uh, because she's taking on a certain role. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And I can see why she won Best Director. 
What's the grade then? A B plus. Yeah. B plus. So all of our films are Bs. Is that right? I get oh, Valerian, Valerian C+. Plus. C+ yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not that, oddly, it's not necessarily the strongest week to come back. Maybe Dunkirk, Phil. Maybe that'll be the, the cherry. Yeah, maybe indeed. Okay, listeners, let me know if you see The Beguiled. It's not on cinemas for much longer, but it might be worth catching if you're interested. Uh, superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Right, Phil, back to emails. Emails, it's time for emails. I'm really excited for emails. Listeners, haven't you missed Phil's songs? Very good, Phil. Nice and off the cuff. Uh, we're not doing what we've been watching this week, as you probably already gathered, because we had four films to review. I uh, hope you're okay with that. It's going to be back next week when the film number decreases. But mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we know we're just yeah. back we're just back we're getting back into it okay here we go uh pixel bro got in touch hey pixel bro thanks <laughs> he hold didn't on, say anything on. just got in touch he says the circle brackets conspiracy keanu meme is that a thing you know what it is is that like his mind blown sort of thing oh you know, as in like, whoa. keanu reeves whoa yes whoa out of bill and ted got it yeah he's yeah it's so hard pic- to do memes in uh <laughs> i think we should see this <laughs> i'm sure that worked Fitch that, listeners. He says, what if Facebook planned the rewrites to the circle to throw us off the scent? What, to make it so ridiculous that we'd then think, oh, this is never going to happen, blah, blah, well, blah. Who, who knows, Phil? Interesting you know, thought, Pixel Bro. He says, my wife saw it and I guess gives Phil a plus one. Uh, what, I guess. Do, just remind us what your opinion was. Uh, it's just very weird short. and wastes its potential and it's just odd. Emma Watson's not very good. There we go. Though her main problem was that she wasn't sure whether it was a satire or not. Interesting. Yeah, it's so on the nose and obvious, the, the nastiness of the company, mm. that it kind of kills the, uh, the mood and atmosphere. Okay. Uh, he says, lots more I've thought of while listening on the podcast, but have now forgotten. <laughs> okay. Oh, thanks. Uh, loving all of it, particularly Phil's Tom Hanks scream and Laurie's intros. What's your Tom Hanks scream? I don't know. Is, is it maybe confusing with Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, from The Mummy. My that terrible scream. That's ah, a while ago <laughs> now. Uh, and he said, oh, listen, that's the sound of ingenuity. Hashtag still laughing. Oh, that's kind. That's from my fake TED Talk intro. Uh, it's been so long. I feel like I'm out of it. I know. This is us getting back into the swing lessons, if you couldn't tell. Love the pixel, bro. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Nicola got in touch. Must seen from The Fugitive. Uh-oh. He says, do your homework, Laurie. <laughs> oh, wow. Tommy Lee Jones is a federal marshal, not a cop. Oh, come on. I mean, Hollywood get away with making mistakes like that. Am I not allowed? Uh, otherwise good no. shout i agree 100 percent. love the film and love the show boom okay very enthusiastic oh <laughs> uh, yeah i hope that uh, must seem as interesting that was the tunnel sequence isn't it where um i don't care yeah don't richard kimball he takes a dive very good thank you you get your suggestions if you've got a must see which you think is just impeccable or what was it picture perfect well it, the thing what we agree we talked about this when we first did picture perfect because people did send in scenes they love but the thing is if we're supposed to be there enthusing about it, it kind of needs to be a scene that we love. So no, you've we got could to read it out. Us. We could read out your must scene. That's right. So if you can give us some detail about why you love a scene, that'd be brilliant. Send those in. The Natural got in touch. Dear Super Bailey Bros, thought emails might be an easy way to fill one of your holiday slot podcasts. Good idea. It's too late <laughs> it's now. Too late now. It's because we pre-recorded it all ages ago. Apart from uh, last week's one. This is Viceroy's House. Did you? This is. I think it was Sam Neill was in this. No, no, it wasn't. It was Mr. Downton Abbey was in this, and it's about uh, uh, the British Empire. He said. Oh, it's a cinema release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Lord Mountbatten. Just wanted your thoughts on those films, which introduce you to a major subject or issue in the world or an event in history about which you know practically nothing but feel you should. Well, apparently that's the American Civil War based on today's episode. It very much so, yeah. Yep. Uh, we went to see Viceroy's House with the Earl of Grantham, that's Downton Abbey character, as Lord Lewis Mountbatten when he became the last Viceroy of India with the job of overseeing Indian independence. The big question was how to have a peaceful transition when there were deep-rooted tensions between Hindu Sikhs and Muslims. 
I thought the film conveyed very well the scale of the question, the political complexities and a huge movement of people taking place, which resulted in partition and the creation of Pakistan 50 years ago, sadly, to a great loss of life in the process. I feel as if I've been educated and given insight, but I have no way of knowing how accurate the portrayal of real historical characters and situations has been. Yeah, that is tough, isn't it? I have noticed that, like, since uh, doing the podcast... Pretty much every time I see a true story, I'm wondering, uh, probably none of this is true. Isn't that tough? It's a shame and once that could have gets broken for you. The number of times you said, like, after we reviewed a movie, which is a true story, you like, I've re- looked into it and none of it's right. And yeah. It's just a bit heartbreaking, isn't it's it? It's a bit annoying because... Post-truth you, films. Yeah, it really is like that, but that's been going on for decades and people don't care. It's, post-truth has only recently entered the dictionary mm. when it annoys people. How, how interesting is that? Ooh, I'm not a little bit of politics. All right. Nevertheless, he says, my feeling is that it's better to have some idea of what happened, even if it's from a particular angle, than to continue in a fair enough i but i suppose some people would still dispute that because that's kind of revisionist history isn't it isn't it good to have some attention brought to something that you haven't known about well that is the question the reality is i'm highly unlikely to pick up a book and do any other serious research so <laughs> the film Very has provided honest. a Very service honest. to me that is honest and that's how we all are but then you know george Orwell would have something to say about that wouldn't he there we go okay so here's the question do you think that is a valid stance or am i just being lazy and buying into someone else's agenda and fast food history we've kind of discussed that haven't we I think it's kind of okay when it's quite open about the fact it's a film. That's true. As long as they can say based on real events, some stories or characters have been changed, blah, blah, like, blah. Even films like Apollo 13 or 11, which one was the one that Tom Hanks 13. was it? I think so. I think it's Apollo 11. No, that's not the name of the film, is it? Is it? I don't know. That anyway, that film, I'm sure it wasn't exactly like that, but I still enjoyed it and it's entertaining and... And it tells you about a moment in history, doesn't it? Well, and it's upfront about being a drama, that one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I think if it's... A, it's Unless it's trying to do what Winston Churchill was trying to do, which was, uh, you know, that Churchill film you reviewed? Oh, yeah. Which is that. trying to present something which is hidden or secret and be revealed, but actually is based on just their own agenda. It's as much conjecture as anything else. Yeah. yeah I think dishonest. That's, yeah, I think that's wrong. When it's just trying to tell you about an event, I think that's fair enough. Like like Gandhi, wasn't it? That was that was a biopic. And yeah. It's just a slice of something, isn't it? It slightly depends what the point of the film is. If the film is trying to dictate to you how to feel about a certain event or about certain people, I think that is overstepping its bounds when they use creative freedom. Because if they really want you, yourself, to have an opinion about a massive social issue or a historical point of view then the responsibility is to give you as much actual information as possible to allow the audience member to come up with their own opinion. If it's uh, a film which wants to express something using a historical event, like Apollo 13, for example, that's something slightly different. Because Apollo 13 was not holding up the events for you to judge, was it? No, I don't think it was. It was telling a story using using that story. Which is why I think Spotlight as well was very good. It because was it was It was a story of the, the reporters about a very like difficult issue and it was quite neutral in tone wasn't it it didn't uh, manipulate the audience or it didn't feel that way anyway without shirking responsibility i think spotlight's a really good example of this sort of thing look at this is a big issue listeners it seems like we should this is that historical accuracy thing we talked about for ages we yeah, keep talking yeah. about it what's yeah, the deal yeah. all right okay uh, he goes on to say whatever the case if anyone else has a chance to see the film i'd encourage them to stay through the credits and take full note of the photographs running alongside the black screen with white text makes a massive difference to my appreciation of such films so good i love, <laughs> love it. it i love it love it love it, it. Uh, it annoys me I, I love it so much it annoys me when they don't do the black text the black black screen when they do white text over like a moving image it's yeah, not as good not as powerful is it not as good it's funny i wonder why that is uh, he said not a great film but overall 
it's worth a watch. There we go. Similar things might be said about 13 Days, Gandhi. Here we go. Apollo 13, All the President's Men, The Big oh. Short, Lincoln, Empire of the Sun, Rabbit, Blue Fence, Jackie, The Social Network, blah, 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 The King's Speech, Yav Victoria, etc., etc. Thank you for all of your brilliant podcasts, great presenting chemistry, wow, and hilarious parodies. Everything seemed nice while we were away. Oh, it's weird, isn't it? Lo- I really love the scripted conversation in Laurie's TED Talk. Just be careful not to cut yourself on the sharpness of your own wit and cynicism. Oh, <laughs> oh ouch. Zing. Uh, excellent portrayal by Phil of the pitch-perfect bridge scene from Fellowship of the Ring. You're getting loads of praise about that loads you did a good job with the old music oh thanks phil yeah. uh have a great holiday thank you very much why are you making fun of me when i'm saying yeah well done i don't know i'm on autopilot <laughs> can you tell <laughs> it's just my standard Come on, response Laura, nearly there. to anything you say uh okay kufu's just got in touch happy holidays wow i'm so behind with all the recent releases thanks again for your awesome reviews they are life-changing not sure that's true well there we go it's what they say i also watched the mummy super disappointed your review hit all the spots for me so i won't go on ranting about it no more but the filming location thing did bring back a fun memory okay you give your thought phil and then we'll come on to the memory is that a plus one for me then yes it is i think yeah a plus one. yeah nice yeah one. it's weird isn't it that whole thing of when you spot somewhere you've actually been but it's not used correctly so the Radcliffe camera having taxis driven around it. I was like, no, 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 no. Well, here's one. This is from his friend, my Canadian friend, he says, who grew up in Calgary. He once told me a major goof in the movie Cool Runnings, which no one picks up unless you're a local. In the airport sequence after they arrive in Calgary, they walk towards the airport exit and experience the freezing blizzard for the first time in their life. And that's actually the departure drop-off part of the airport. The arrival pickup area is covered precisely so that people don't freeze to death <laughs> while waiting for their rides to arrive. Not cinematic, though, is it? you got to yeah. bend the truth. <laughs> there you go. Oh, the historical accuracy of that film, Cool Running. Terrible, terrible. Oh. Also, funny, you mentioned Spider-Man having to run. Growing up as a kid in a city with buildings no taller than two stories in average, I always joke about the fact that Spider-Man would have a really hard time fighting crime. Chasing bad guys would be a super tough job. There are just no skyscrapers for him to swing around. There you go. You predicted it. There you go. I do think it's a shame that in Spider-Man Homecoming, there isn't really that classic moment where he swinging. swings around has a great time i yeah. think that's kind of sad i think those are probably my favorite sequences in spider-man films they'll you be know? building up to it when that's, that's the thing the, that you dream about experiential yeah, you exactly, want to yeah. swing that's the whole point that's why spider-man 2 the game was so good swinging around new york game. great time delivering oh, pizzas that started that whole Fantastic. open world fiasco disaster okay hey i'm sick of you guys apologizing for long episodes never apologize for a long episode that's nice to say i think the listeners would rather hear you apologizing for super short episodes after all because your pain is our game. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, having said that, I do genuinely wish you guys a great holiday. Enjoy the summer while you can. I'm sure you'll come back with fresh new ideas for the show. Mm, doubt it. Doubt it. Mm. Yeah, boy, he says. <laughs> He's actually written, yeah, boy. <laughs> what song is that from again? I don't know. That's a classic. funny, isn't it? Uh, until then, lots of love for your most faithful fan, the wise man from the East, Confucius. What a lovely email. Thank you. Yeah, we haven't heard from Confucius for a while, have we? Thanks, Confucius. Good to hear from you. Okay, and final email. Uh, also making me nervous how did a will smith film get a b plus from james t hi guys i confess at the time of writing i'm a podcast behind but felt the need to email in just wondering how on earth enemy of the state got a b plus it's got will smith in it the worst actor known to man oh that's that's too harsh i i think enemy of the state is not that good but um will smith's fine he had a little heyday didn't he yeah i think so i mean i'm sorry james t this is going to stop you listening isn't it but i i've got a lot of time for will smith in his prime i think actually he's gone terribly downhill in recent years when he's tried to be too serious it was the pursuit of happiness that really pushed him that yeah go for the oscars has not worked out for him well at all no he was a great sort of good time movie star like he really encapsulated that yeah like you'd go and see it because he's in it and he's charming he doesn't need necessarily to be an amazing actor although i think he is good I think 
having seen him in that new one, what was that? Collateral Damage, the most ridiculous titled film ever. Collateral Beauty, Phil. Collateral Beauty, yeah. Collateral Damage would make more sense. That is the point, though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Ugh. Anyway, him in that film, I could see his acting toolkit at full effect. And I wonder, I slightly worry that if I watch a Will Smith film now, going back, watching his back catalogue, I'll just be able to see him doing tricks. his Will Smith stuff. Yeah. And actually, is he actually that good an actor once you know his... Well, this is exactly what James T is saying. Here he goes on to say, with a genuinely unbiased view, I cannot think of a Will Smith film which I grade higher than a C, although I haven't seen Seven Pounds, which people tell me I must watch. I've heard that's not very good. I think he's solid in iRobot. I think that's a solid film. Oh, I'm not so keen on iRobot. I think Film 4 ruined that for me by relentlessly playing it all the time. And it's not, I don't think it's great, actually. I think he's good in it, though. He says, is there an actor with less talent still getting roles and paid so much? Yeah, I think at the moment, terribly sad though I am to say, I think Johnny Depp is that person. Yeah, um, that's very true. His box office return is not good. And I just don't get it. I think he, all the, what you're saying now about the tricks being revealed, all of them are laid bare for Johnny Depp. He needs to go back and do like a Donnie Brasco again. Uh, but then you saw him in whatever that film was. Um, Public Enemies, was it? Public Enemies is the worst film I've ever seen. I don't even want to talk about it. That was him though, wasn't it? It was him. He was not good in that. And he recently did, I can't remember what the name. He did that gangster Black film. Black something or uh, what was it called? Black Tar. <laughs> Something, it was a strange film. I haven't seen that either. Anyway, let's hope both these guys get back on the horse. He says, Also, if you ever want to reason to somebody why democracy is terrible, (laughs) brackets, I don't. I'm not saying that you do either. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Uh, Show them the Empire Top 100 recently released. What a joke. Well, James T. That's like music to Laurie's ears. Yeah, you and I are in complete agreement on that. I thought it was a dreadful Top 100. One of the worst I've ever seen. And unfortunately, it just reflects what audiences want right now. And, you know, there's a question now, which is that if that's what the audience wants, then maybe that is where it should be. But, uh, yes, you and I are in complete agreement. We should go through that top 100. You guys, I mean, I haven't met you, James, too, but you sound like a bit like grumpy old men and the kids having too much fun. No, I'm the gatekeepers of the film. These films are the good films. None of your films are good. I feel that I have proven myself not to be the grumpy old man with my love of monster trucks. Uh, and my appreciation of Power Rangers and but I think you do that in spite of the audience it's like no I'm going to enjoy this film even though you hate it no that's true and that's not true because I mean it's a, <laughs> whoops uh, like Valerian a lot of people are not liking it I didn't like it either sorry to say kind of film I thought I would like but no not so much uh, James thanks so much for getting in touch can't agree with you about Will Smith but thank you very much we appreciate it uh, big love he says James T and that is it Phil that everything that's all the emails for this week everything else is about dunkirk what about old tweety tweet oh actually tweet. i haven't even looked at twitter have i but I... <laughs> good one well done laurie oh no this is like uh listeners if you had any doubt that phil and i you know just do this stuff we just sit down and do it then uh, here's a good example <laughs> right hold I, it on. still makes you laugh the idea that people think we're scripted i know <laughs> it's like there's it? no way we'd script this much shambles but, 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 but. no let's do one or two um i can't even remember some of the ones we've covered already uh let's do one from nicholas he says i was in the mood for mechanic resurrection on netflix uh Stath- Stathman. i can't tell whether he's that's Statham. a joke Stathman. i think he's saying like as a joke Stathman uh. and tl jones can't remember who that is Elevate the movie. Sorry? Bobby Lee Jones. Oh, yeah, he's in it. That's right. You're right. You're not wrong. (laughs) Uh, Elevate the movie to an E. An E. (laughs) The rest is vomit inducing tears and more vomit. That's um, from emojis I'm trying to interpret there. Oh, right. Okay. I I agree with you on The Mechanic Resurrection. I thought it was, you know, a terrible B movie uh, with some weirdly archaic things in it. But you've got to agree with me, Nicholas. The uh, swimming pool, the skyscraper swimming pool scene was pretty good. That almost made the film. I don't think I'd give it an E. I think I'd give it a C or something like that. But there we go. Mark Gillespie got in touch and we riffed back and forwards, Phil, on Twitter for a while. Uh, about the trailer for 
I think it was the Lego Ninja Go film. Have you come Ninja across Ninja Gargo this? or something? Ninja Go. Yeah, something like that. I saw when I saw Storks, it came attached with a little short that had Jackie Chan as a Lego Kung Fu master mm. and a chicken that is trying to rebel against him. And yeah, I thought, you loved it. You talked I, about it. It was so good. It was really funny. And you can find it on YouTube. Listen, I really recommend you watching that. I thought that was funny. I think the trailer for Lego. I think what I said on Twitter was it was the only YouTube advert I've not skipped uh, all year so far because I wanted to watch the trailer and it looks good. For me, it might be the Lego film to finally make Lego films, you know, good. Controversial. It's not that they've been bad. I just haven't responded to them the way that some people have. And Lego Batman, I think, had all the weaknesses of the format. On I enjoyed show. Lego Batman. It made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of tweets here on Dunkirk. Which we won't read out now. No, got to come back to. Esther said she was going to watch Patterson. She wanted to re-listen to our thoughts. Esther, send us your thoughts on Patterson. Uh, lots of more tweets on Dunkirk. Can you tell I'm scrolling through, Phil? Maybe you yeah, can, maybe yeah. you can't. Uh, that's kind of it now, to be honest. Let's let's cover everything else next week. Guys, thank you very much for all the correspondence. We love having it. If you'd like to get in touch with the show and have us mockingly and lovingly engage with your we ideas. We love it. We love it. There's no mocking at all. Superbadybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Superbadybros. And don't worry, we will save up all the Dunkirk chat when we do review Keep it coming. Dunkirk. That's going to be in sort of three weeks' time. We're going to have more to do with than we know what to do with what. The more to... <laughs> Can we, we need to end the show. Yeah. All right, thanks, listeners. Phil, I was really looking forward to doing the show again. <laughs> I remember I talked to you yesterday and you were like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm now wondering if that's <laughs> I think, naive. I didn't feel well. I haven't been feeling well for a few days. And I, and I think that doesn't help because we rely so much on it just... You or know, your brain. <laughs> like just, it, there's less than a second. It's like the brain thinks something and it comes out of the mouth. And if the brain's not working, then what do you expect? <laughs> listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope the film marathon catching up on all four was uh, good. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of those films. The Big Sick, Valerian. City of a Thousand Planets War of the Planet of the Apes War of the Planet of the Apes and the Beguile please keep them coming in please keep your thoughts coming in on Dunkirk we're going to cover it in three weeks time is that Phil? Uh, no sooner than that I think two weeks time about two weeks time we will get that covered so we'll do a big extravaganza and it's, and it's also that you get the authentic Phil Bailey review we need your thoughts on it because I admit listeners everything I've heard so far does not make me enthusiastic about it and that's a sad place for me to be in I, I, would, I had high hopes as I think all our previews suggested mm. Are you going to go see it? Yeah, I will see it. Yeah, I'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so disdainful. I know, I'm not disdainful. I, like, it's, people are loving it. I just... Uh, uh... We'll talk about it another time. Talk about it another time. <laughs> right, listeners, have a really great week. We'll speak to you uh, next week. And... <laughs> just, just sign off, around? man. Let's just All say right. bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, everybody. Oh, yeah, tweet to Adam Buxton. Let's make that happen. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye, bye, bye. Well, I did come up with quite a few bonuses while on holiday. Your little I, bonus factory is uh, yeah. churning them out. Well, I think getting a bit of space. I love holiday. Isn't it brilliant? You go get some space. You forget all the stuff that you're stressed out about. Didn't watch it. Like, basically didn't see any films. Did you not? No. Wall Street was on at one point and I uh, dipped in for about 10 minutes of that. But it was kind of nice not to watch any. Is that bad? Is that a bad sign? No, 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 no. Holiday. Holiday. Okay. But it meant that I did start thinking of things. I thought of funny things. wrote down my little notebook. Would you like to hear some? Yes. Just one or more than? I think you tease and tantalise people when you give out the list and we only do one. So I think choose your favourite and do that. That's a tough call. Well, Phil, this is almost a controversial one. Uh, I hope it, 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 it's <laughs> going to sound that way as I describe it, but stick with it, listeners. So one of the games that Judith and I ended up playing that I just thought of while we are doing driving, because we went to Northern Ireland and there's a lot of country lanes. Yeah, you're stuck behind... Uh... Yeah, and so for example, you get stuck behind tractors, but also cyclists. If there's cyclists cycling around, then you have to go slowly until there's a chance to overtake because the roads can be quite narrow. Certainly mm. where we were, they were. Yeah. And I realised 
it had been something that had been in my mind for many years, being a cyclist and a driver in Oxford. Uh, and it just occurred to me then and there that it is a kind of fun game trying to guess how old a cyclist might be from uh, their bum and <laughs> their profile from the back. Because when someone is cycling and you're just you're right behind them, <laughs> deny that you can't help but sort of notice their bottom. <laughs> it's just right there. That's how bikes look. That's how they work. And also then you start thinking, well, I wonder who that is. Is that a woman or is that a man? Are they an old man or a young man? Uh, you know, what What are they? Are they going to be like a handsome sports person or are they going to be a hobbyist? <laughs> it is really hard to tell, but especially that you can't do it from their clothes either because nowadays it's not, you know, sort of pro cyclists who wear the Lycra gear. You Anyone sometimes get it. like any, any sorts. And it is absolutely amazing how often you'll make a guess and it'll be wrong. And it is just... Like, well, what's so funny, funny is I've, I've done this game. I didn't realise I was playing this game exactly, myself. That's exactly what I mean. You don't think about <laughs> as it. As you drive past him, you're like, oh, oh surprising. Oh, not, not what I thought. Exactly. Like, a mate, like you'll see an incredibly youthful person with a very toned bottom. And when you look at back in, in your rearview mirror, they'll be like in their 70s or something. <laughs> just and having a great just, life. Yeah, exactly. One of those people who just kept going into the later years. I, I basically, it's a sort of shameful thing, but I think I'm going to ask listeners to deny that they also play that game without thinking about it guess the age and guess everything guess guess the cyclist you can't do it from from behind i think it's, it's nearly impossible and judith and i had many uh, sort of guilty chuckle about it <laughs> as we were driving around all night that's how great our holidays are phil filled <laughs> with laughter and joy there was this moment that wasn't so joyful coming back from holiday do you want to hear that uh, i thought you know coming back home i was quite pleased to get home like you know that feeling when you're on the last stretch of road oh yeah yeah the, like the, the driveway drive that kind of thing, but it's in, in our case, it's an A road before we hit a roundabout. Mm. And so what I thought I would do was just have a little bit of fun. You know, we're both quite tired. I thought I'd spice things up a little bit, be hilarious. It's the kind of guy I am. It's the kind of marriage we've got, Phil. So I put my hand down and held Judith's hand and then pretended it was the gear stick. Like, and, uh, you know, I thought that'd be funny as if like, oh, changing to first, but instead I'm moving her hand around. It's funny. funny. <laughs> what actually happened when I did that was when I put my hand on Judith's hand and looked at her like that, she got freaked out because in her world That's she thought time. i had grabbed her hand ahead of an inevitable crash <laughs> she, oh, she no. thought it was a last clerk clear like oh i love you last goodbye moment. farewell <laughs> oh, no. like i just how funny it is like the expectation <laughs> the versus the outcome <laughs> unbelievable like she was so cross did she burst into tears or she was really upset yeah because oh, she no. thought i was saying everything's about to end wow I've never had a little funny <laughs> moment go goes quite so, so spectacularly wrong. Uh, but there you go. Did There's... you grab it too aggressively? Is that the thing? I, no, I think I grabbed it quite gently because I was, you know, trying to be funny. And I think that was the thing that did it. Maybe if I grabbed it harder, it would have been even worse. Anyway, oh, gosh, that's a, that's a bad miss. It was a bad miss. There you go. There's my little holiday moment. Fun for fun. Just wanted your thoughts on those films which introduce you to a major subject. Subject. 